Well, if you have your Bible this morning, you can go ahead and grab that, pull that out, and head back to the book of 1 Samuel this morning. I just want to begin by saying a huge thank you to everyone. Thank you so much for calls this week, checking in on me uh, and on my family. Thank you for um, letters I got in the mail and texts and emails. Uh, Just checking in, and uh, thank you for several of you guys that sent us meals this week. Uh, We had some great dinners, and we're just incredibly thankful for our church family. So thank you guys for loving on us in that way. Um, Obviously, I'm doing very well um, and cannot wait for next weekend just to be back with you guys uh, in person celebrating what really is going to be a special time in the life of our church family. Um, But this week, I have had uh, some time, some time on my hands just to sit and uh, reflect and, and pray and think. And, and I'll tell you that the theme of my thoughts has really been around uh, my family, our family, uh, as well as our whole church family. Um, Alana and I will be married nine years this October. Uh, we've got our oldest two kids in just a few short weeks, beginning second grade and kindergarten. And our youngest just turned three on Friday. And God has been so good and so faithful to our family. And as I think about our church family, we also will celebrate our two-year anniversary just as a church being together and worshiping God together as a family, uh, our two-year anniversary coming up towards the end of October. And and in all of it, to just step back and think, man, God has been so good to us all. God has been so faithful. And, And even in the challenges and the ups and the downs, God has been sovereign He has been good. He has been loving through all of it. And there's such benefit in stepping back and recognizing how God has been good to us through each season of life. And as I've been thinking about those things, I've been considering how God has really matured and grown my faith and my walk and my trust in Him, even over just these last two years. And I would say that what He's been doing most of all is breaking my heart of the idols of self-reliance that so easily can creep into my heart and I believe all of our hearts, um, that we sort of have this need to be the hero, uh, sort of a savior complex that's built into our hearts and minds where we think it's about me and it's about what I need to do or my plans, my purposes, and what God has lovingly been doing in my life, even this week, has been freeing me from that in a fresh way and reminding me that it is about His goodness. It's about his plan. It's about his faithfulness. It's about his love for us and what he has done and is constantly doing for us and in us and not at all about what we can bring to the table. And I wonder if it's the same for you. If if there are ways in your life, even recently, that God has been teaching you that you can freely admit that you on your own are not enough and that you can take joy and, and hope in knowing that God is more than enough for us. Over the next three Sundays beginning today, as we finish out the book of 1 Samuel and our summer series entitled, Give Us a King, uh, you can think of these next three Sundays really as part of one sort of three-part sermon that will take us this Sunday and the following two. And I'm calling the totality of these next three messages this, pursuing a heart for God by pursuing the heart of God. Pursuing a heart for God by pursuing the heart of God. And the way that we're going to do that is looking this morning at the calling story surrounding King Saul, the first human king of Israel. And we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 9 uh, and 10. Next week, we'll do the same thing and look at the calling 
in the anointing story of King David, which happens in chapters 16 and 17. And in our final week, we're going to actually go outside of 1 Samuel, go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 51, which is this incredible psalm in which King David repents. And King David shows us the inner workings of his heart and his need to trust and look to the Lord. So if you have your Bible with you, and I encourage you to grab that, as again, there'll be no slides behind me this morning, but let's look to the Word together. We're going to be in 1 Samuel in chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 1, and we're really going to cover the entirety of the content of 1 Samuel chapters 9 and 10 this morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer together, though. Heavenly Father, once again, we submit to your Word. We thank you that it is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Lord, we submit ourselves to King Jesus, the Word made flesh. And Father, even as we open your Word this morning, Father, would you draw our hearts near to you. I pray over all of God's people who are scattered among their homes even this morning. Thank you that in Christ we are one, one family, regardless of where we may be this morning. And we pray your blessing over this time in your Word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Three applications this morning from God's Word, three ways that we'll see in the life of King Saul how we can further pursue the heart of God. The first is this coming out of chapter 9. Number one, a heart for God is a heart moved from the inside out. Let me say that again. Number one, a heart for God is a heart moved from the inside out. Look at me, look, look at me, look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says this, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, son of Becheroth, son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. Verse 2, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Guys, let the scripture remind you this morning that relationship with God is based on an inward heart for God. The introduction to Saul here lists only outward qualifications. You notice that? Everything about Saul that we hear is purely external, and as we'll see, not only moving forward, but throughout Saul's life, the inward is completely absent. Israel has demanded now for some time an earthly king, and now they have gotten what they asked for. King Saul's qualifications are purely external, and next week, by comparison, what we'll see in King David is a man whose qualifications are internal and are heart level. So while Saul is going to be outwardly impressive, he will show himself to be relationally distant from God. And let's be clear, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, there's nothing wrong with being handsome, nothing wrong with being tall. Obviously, everything that we have inside and out is ultimately a good gift from God including financial provision, and for those among us who have been blessed in such a way, even being good-looking, all of that is a good gift from God. But believer, understand this morning that God is not interested in our outwardly showy spirituality or activities. He is looking for you, meaning He is looking for your heart. 
Flip over, if you will, a couple chapters to 1 Samuel chapter 16, which is where the calling story regarding King David begins. And in this moment in 1 Samuel 16, God is going to call King David to replace Saul as king. And Samuel, again, is doing the Lord's work here. And when Samuel sees this new chosen king, this little boy, David, he's going to immediately question God and go, are you sure that's the guy? Because his outward qualifications don't seem to line up to what I see. But listen to God's response to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him, speaking of Saul. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, when we look at someone and we see that they're big and strong and, and tough, we think, oh, they can, they can take care of themselves. But the whole point here is realizing that God is the only real strength that we have. You know, being sick this week, I have felt a, a deep amount of weakness um, this week, and it has been a reminder, and honestly, trying to study uh, and prepare a sermon this week has been uh, a challenge. And, and I would say to myself, um, my weakness has been on full display. And, and I believe the Lord has just encouraged me, though, this week in reminding me, listen, you don't have to, nor should you look to yourself. Jesus lovingly from his word saying, look to me, look to my strength, Look to my ability. It's my word. Look to my grace and, and my power. You know, in, in fact, when we think about the word of God, the Bible is clear. It says, my word will never return void. And so even as I seek to teach and preach every week, it's never about me. It's not about my personality or my abilities. It is about the word of God that he has promised his word never returns void. And so even as you study God's word, or as you share the good news of the gospel or some aspect of God's word with someone, remember that promise. It's not about you. It's about his word, the good news of his grace, that it never returns void. So we can lean on him. We can trust in him. We can give him our whole heart. And we need to understand that God sees our heart. God sees all of our hearts. Um, at the beginning of my sermon prep uh, this week, as I was just beginning to read through chapter 9 and 10, I wrote myself a note, and I don't often do this, but I wrote myself a note across the top of my, my study page, um, and, and I wrote this thinking about this passage. I, I wrote myself and said, make sure this isn't a moralistic highlight reel of someone else's sin. Make sure this isn't a moralistic highlight reel of someone else's sin, and then just write a sermon that says, don't do bad stuff like Saul. Because it can be so easy for us to look at someone else's mistakes and think, I'm not like that. And it can be so easy to reduce the gospel message to, well, do a better job in these areas. And that's not the gospel message. God knows the entirety of our hearts already. You know, Genesis 6-5 is a very humbling passage. Genesis 6 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Bad news. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
What's that mean? Well, it's a really intense way at the beginning of the story of Noah that the Bible reminds us that every one of us cannot help on our own outside of Christ but do bad stuff all the time. It's the bad news of the gospel. But the good news of the gospel is that, yes, every heart is broken, but there is one who has come who can heal and restore every heart. You know, the New Testament puts us this, this way in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all of us, and are justified by His grace as a gift, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, there's both the bad news and the good news of the gospel all together. God understands our weakness, our sinfulness. He isn't surprised He knows that we can't change even our own hearts, but He is in the business of changing hearts. Our heart's natural tendency is to put up a front, to focus on that outward appearance, to try to fool people with an outward show, to conceal what's really going on in our lives. I think all of social media, in fact, is just sort of concealing what's really going on. But the Bible has a better way. When we come to Psalm 51 in a few weeks, Psalm 51 and verse 10, David prays this prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In our community Bible reading, uh, we've been going through the book of Ezekiel. Uh, This Friday, we are in chapter 14, and it echoes the exact same sentiment that we looked at last week in Ezekiel chapter 36. God says over and over, even in that book of judgment and justice, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. That's the good news of the grace and the mercy of the gospel that God will do for you what you cannot. See, a heart for God is a heart that is moved from the inside out. God moves in your heart and we respond to that movement. And so my encouragement to you, believer, is pursue a heart for God by pursuing his heart of grace and mercy and new life for you. Number two, though, looking at chapter 10. Chapter 9 really is the story of Saul's calling. Chapter 10 is the confirming of that calling. Number two is this, a heart for God puts true faith in God's promises. A heart for God puts true faith in God's promises. Look with me at chapter 10, And beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read parts of verse 1 through verse 7. Beginning verse 1, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him, that is Saul, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. And what the Bible continues to do here is to lay out different signs of things and circumstances and people that would confirm to Saul on his way that God's promises, that his faithfulness was true. Picking up now towards the end of verse 5, it says this, And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre, before them prophesying. Verse 6, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Verse 7, now when these signs meet you, 
Do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. See here at the beginning of chapter 10 that God is faithful and he provides everything that Saul needs. God is faithful and he provides everything that you need to follow after him. In Saul's case, in verse 1, God anoints him. In verses 2 through 6, God confirms him. In verses 7 8 and 8, God empowers him. And if we were to continue towards the end of the chapter... He picks up in chapter 10 and verse 25, and God instructs him, and God will give him specifically his word through the prophet Samuel that will guide him as to how to be a godly king. It says that the Spirit rushed upon him, that he was turned into another man, and that he was given another heart in verse 8. God is faithful. God provides, God leads and loves. He gives you everything that you need so that you can trust Him. You know, but what's interesting in Saul here is we never really, throughout his life, we never really see a clear personal relationship with God. I would say that Saul is playing games. Saul is playing games in his relationship or lack thereof with God, and we never really see a heart that is changed from the inside out in Saul. We never really see belief and faith in Saul. In fact, in chapter 10, we're going to see two primary responses that Saul has for God. So God demonstrates his faithfulness, and these are the two things that Saul immediately does. The first, in verses 14 through 16, is Saul has a conversation with his uncle. And in that conversation, Saul has just been anointed king over all of Israel privately. He doesn't even share this news with his uncle. He doesn't even tell anybody that he's been anointed king. And then a few verses later, and we're going to look at this one, Samuel is casting lots, rolling dice, literally, before the Lord and before all Israel in this public anointing moment so as to identify the new king. And look at what Saul is doing in this moment as he is now being called and supposed to be anointed king. This is chapter 10, verses 20 through 22. Look with me. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Verse 22, so they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Lord, where is the man who is to be king? He's not here. He's gone missing. He's hiding in the luggage. Understand, guys, that there is a very close connection between believing and trusting and obeying. What we see here that's lacking in Saul's life in this moment is the obeying part. But if we trace it backwards from obeying, what you will see is that there is a lack of trust because there is a lack of belief in Saul's life. Saul is going to show us here really what a life of self-reliance looks like. Yes, Saul's hiding is an act of fear and it's an act of disobedience, but it is ultimately a faith issue. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says this, and without faith. It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
Like last week, we looked at John chapter 15 and verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Saul's life of self-reliance rather than God-reliance or his lack of faith throughout life is really the theme that we see in all of his life here in 1 Samuel chapters 11 through 15. Just to highlight a few of the things that happen over the next five chapters in his life. In 1 Samuel 11, Saul is going to make rash decisions without consulting God and then experience the consequences of that. In chapter 13, he leads his people through fear and through threats rather than through grace and through God's promises. Also in chapter 13, he refuses to be patient, refuses to trust God's timing. And if you remember this story, he refused to wait for Samuel to lead the sacrifices before God, and he chooses to do it himself, which he knew was wrong. For Samuel 14, he literally hides in a cave while his son goes out and fights the battle for him. Also in 1 Samuel 14, he's driven by his anger, He's driven by unforgiveness and by a spirit of legalism that leads him to make a vow that he's going to kill his own son. Why? Because his son ate some honey. Verse 15, or chapter 15, he refuses to trust God to provide for his nation and for his nation's needs and, and therefore d- disobeys God's clear command when God comes to him in chapter 15 and says, eliminate this enemy entirely. Do not take from them any spoil, and yet Saul disobeys, and instead he hoards the spoils of the battle and then lies about it and then blames other people for his sin. But further along in chapter 15, he will then refuse to repent, will refuse to turn his heart back towards God. And it is at the end of chapter 15 that God tells Saul through the prophet Samuel, I am tearing the kingdom and the kingship from you. How do you know? if you're being self-reliant rather than God-reliant? How do you know if your faith truly is in yourself rather than on God? Well, a couple of warning signs that we see here in the life of Saul that we can apply to ourselves. If you don't look to God for your daily circumstances and when you have questions and needs, if you're not looking to Him in prayer or looking to Him in God's Word and submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit, then you are moving away from faith in God and moving back towards faith in yourself. When you don't engage in heart-level relationship with the Lord and with His people. When you refuse to connect yourself to God's people in the local church. When you overwork and you're unwilling to trust others to serve and support and help with you. When you find yourself burned out or angry or bitter, and you find yourself slow to forgive others for their mistakes, but at the same time you are quick to point out their faults and even quicker to forgive yourself, where there is defensiveness and denial about your own sin, but a quick-heartedness to judge others. The result, the, the source of that may be that your faith has moved away from the grace and the goodness of God and become more and more about yourself and what you can do yourself. The Bible teaches here in chapter 10 that a heart for God puts true faith in God's promises, in God's grace. But again, we find ourselves all over this story. We can identify with Saul. What do we do? Third and finally, 
So let me remind you, brothers and sisters, from this Old Testament story. Number three, a heart for God trusts Jesus, the true Savior King of all people. A heart for God trusts Jesus, the true Savior King of all people. If we go back to a couple of verses that show up in chapter 9 and chapter 10, flip back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 9 and listen to verse 16. 1 Samuel 9, 16. Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. He shall save my people. Listen now, 1 Samuel chapter 10 and the beginning of verse 1. We just heard this. Listen one more time with a fresh set of eyes. Chapter 10 and verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, that is the head of Saul, and, and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. Guys, Saul's promising start as a king ends in failure. Samuel is going to remind his people in chapter, in verse 19, that the direct result of replacing God the king with any human king is destruction. Do you know that in the New Testament, that the apostle Paul himself actually preaches a sermon in Acts chapter 13 about this exact story? If you've got your Bible, flip over to the New Testament and listen to what Paul tells us as he preaches this same text, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 16, Acts 13, 16. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Here's Paul preaching, verse 17. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Verse 21, then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. See, God was always your perfect king. God has always been faithful. Saul blew it. David ultimately will blow it as well. But look ahead, Acts chapter 13, this is verse 36 through 39. Listen, listen how it explains the connection between David and his insufficiency and Jesus Christ and his perfection. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, it means he died, and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. So David didn't last. David died. Verse 37, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, not through Saul, not even through David, but through Jesus. Verse 39, and by him 
everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Jesus will never fail you. Jesus is the perfect king and the perfect savior. The book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah tells us there was nothing in Jesus' appearance, his outward appearance that would draw us to him. But his heart, everything about who he was, was perfect. His internal, his heart was without sin. And Jesus' heart was to come to earth and to live and die in your place. His heart was to save you. So Jesus is a better king. He's a better savior. He never sinned. He was always faithful to his people. He never cut corners. And he always obeyed his father, even, even obedience unto death, death on a cross for your salvation. See, Jesus is the only man who is truly after God's own heart, anointed by God, King of kings and Lord of lords. He will save his people. He will save you from your enemy, the enemy of sin and Satan and death, and he shall reign forever and ever on the throne of his Father, God. See, Jesus has made a way for you, not just to get to heaven, but a way for you to be reconciled with the God of the universe. The deliverance of his people, the salvation of his people is sure because Jesus laid in a tomb for three days, but he didn't see corruption. He rose from the dead and is alive and reigning as king forevermore, even today, even in your life. And so by his grace, by his mercy, by his love for you, by his power in your life, by his Holy Spirit's work, you can have new life. Give him your heart today. Put your faith in trust in King Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together.